0: Hey, Queeros, Cammie here, and I hope this is a calm place for you to land in the midst of a bunch of uncalm things that you can feel um, that I'm with you in your ears right now. Today's guest on the podcast is Angela Chen, who wrote the book Ace, What Asexuality Reveals About Desire, Society, and the Meaning of Sex. I love this chat. It was great to connect with Angela. And I also want to say thank you to all of the new subscribers who came in through Patreon, um, since our best of 2020 episodes. Um, doing this show remotely has been challenging and the pandemic has affected ad sales and it has meant the world to me that many of you have stepped in to help make this show happen. Um, you can go to patreon.com slash and support the show. Thank you so much. Enjoy the episode. I've been feeling wrong But I'm stolen. So I always have folks introduce themselves on the podcast. Would you introduce yourself?
1: Absolutely. My name is Angela. I am a journalist and I'm the author of Ace, What Asexuality Reveals About Desire, Society, and the Meaning of Sex. And you sent me this book.
0: Thank you, first of all. (laughs) Um, And uh, it's very good. It is very good. Yeah, I think... um, I didn't get a chance to finish it because my my dog ate a bee last night. I'm sorry. And continues to do this even though she is allergic to bees. Do puppies know (laughs) that they have to stop because I'm too tired? No, they don't. (laughs) Um, But I got got most of the way into it. And I will say that, um, you know, what struck me about it is that especially because you led with that you're a journalist, it's it is it's journalistic, but it's also really personal, which I think is a really um, tough tone to strike um, because often things are either hyper-personal and like personal essay format, or it's like a journalistic thing that feels like maybe the facts are at a distance. And what I really liked about this book, because I think asexuality is something that's so unexplored Um, culturally it's just it's very it's it's such a service to the book and also the community and yourself that it's written both in a way that feels journalistic but also that feels inviting yeah how intentional was that that feels like that must have been pretty intentional
1: it was intentional but it was also uncomfortable Oh, yeah. Tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah. In my day job, I'm actually a science and tech journalist. You know, I do a lot Mm -hmm. of stuff on health. I do a lot of stuff on AI. And, you know, is AI going to take over the world and replace us? You know, that kind of stuff, which there's just not a lot of room for personal narrative when you're writing about AI. And I like it that way. You know, I like being a journalist. I like talking to other people and telling their stories. So when I sold the book, I knew that it would have to be personal. Because it was important to me that an asexual person write this book. And if you're going to have an ace author, you might as well use that experience. And I could be a guide of sorts to people who are reading the book. But it didn't come naturally to me because I'm not a culture reporter in general or a sex and relationships reporter. And and I kept asking myself, why are you doing this? This is totally a different part of your career. You know, even now, people will be like, are you going to write another book about asexuality? And I'm like, maybe, but maybe I'll just continue writing about AI. So it really felt like while this was obviously an enormous, you know, privilege and honor to be able to write this book, it felt like it was a necessity because it's not where my natural inclinations as a writer go toward.
0: Okay, well, then I guess my first question is, are the machines taking over and when and who is the most important savior of our time? And is it Sarah Connor in actuality?
1: <laughs> you know, this is actually a very complicated question. I think they're not taking over yet. You know, okay. frankly, I'm much more worried about climate change. That's, you know, uh, more at the top of uh-huh. my mind. But, you know, lots of smart people are working on this, smart, well-funded people. So hopefully we can, hopefully that helps you sleep at night. <laughs> I mean, what helps me sleep at night
0: is watching the Terminator franchise. So, unfortunately, it's a bit of a catch-22. Fair. Um, fair. The moment, then, that you decided that this was important enough for you to, like, break that membrane between what you're more comfortable in, like, what was there a particular impetus for that? Or was it a sort of slow-burning, this story needs to be told eventually kind of a thing?
1: I think it came out of this feeling of impatience. You know, I think mm-hmm. it's like, I think many of us have this experience maybe when you're younger and you discover like a new TV show or something and then you just want to talk to everyone about it. And then after a while, you know, whenever you're explaining something, you have to take like the first 20 minutes to be like, this is the TV show and here are the characters. And then you're like, can I tell you my fan theory? And it, it kind of felt like that. Like my relationship with asexuality was like that. I didn't realize I was ace until I was in my 20s. And realizing it, And then I had to go digging for it. I didn't have to go digging anywhere back when I thought I was just a straight woman. That was pretty much, you know, what was expected of me. But I thought there were so many smart ways of thinking about the world that the asexual lens represented, but you wouldn't have access to them because it wasn't in the culture. To find any of that, you'd have to be extremely online in a way, or, you know, you'd have to read these academic books. And so I kept trying to talk to people about, you know, the ways that asexuality makes everyone, not just people who happen to be ace, like question, like, what is sex? What is sexual attraction? What is romantic attraction? How should we think about the world? But then I got tired of doing that first, like, TED talk, you know, like, welcome to my TED talk. Here's what it is. I wanted to skip that and get to the part where we were thinking about what is it that we all really want, Um, what, what is pleasure? What if we centered that in our lives instead of sexuality? And so I think that was the moment that feeling of impatience, that feeling that so many people ace or not would benefit from this perspective that I was like, well, I am a journalist. I've always been a journalist. Maybe I should do this.
0: Wow. I I have so many follow-ups. Um, I want to talk about the, I'm going to write this down because I want to talk about what you're talking about, about centering pleasure. I think that's really Important. Um, But I also want to ask you, you have this life as as tech journalist and then put out a personal memoirs that or a book that is partially personal memoir, as it is also like investigative reporting. I'm just curious as to like if, if did your work community not I would assume your friends knew how you identify, but did your work community and actually maybe you could answer that first question
1: did your friends know how you identify? It's like in the book that,
0: that, they, that they did, but prior to yeah. putting this book out.
1: Yeah. My friends know how I identify. And I'm assuming your next question is like, did my work community know? And I think that's kind of a complicated question, which you will quickly realize is my answer to everything you ask me, because I think that being out is, it's not a binary thing, right? Like even now, if you Google my name, the book's going to come out. It, I mean, the books can come up as a search result. You'll realize that at the same time, my parents and I just don't talk about sexuality. Um, we didn't talk, we've never talked about it. They don't, aren't really interested in my work. So I don't know if my parents even know, even though mm. it's on google.com. Uh, with my work community, I think uh, they knew that I was right in the book. And then I would, I would offer it and I would talk about it openly, but it wasn't something that I would necessarily lead with? Because I think in some ways, especially when I was still writing, it did feel more personal. I was still, even as I was trying to write to explain to an audience, thinking through many of these questions myself.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's such a, it's such a, part of the reason I also ask is because I know for, for many, you know, like my experience with being gay is that a thing that really helped me, um, early on in my life, was pointing to a relationship that could help. So for you know for a really long time, uh, as I was figuring this out about myself, I was closeted, and then eventually I was introducing people to a girlfriend. And so there, the sexuality doesn't isn't coming up there at all. It's like, you know, what that I'm in a relation that I'm in, that I have like a homo. Um, romantic tendency, right? So this is my partner. And I think oftentimes as a queer person, I'm, I get asked questions that are more overtly sexual than like maybe a straight person would. Um, but I also think that the presumption that that nobody is asexual, like the, the invisibility around that um, versus the idea that like introducing a partner can really sort of Sidestep a conversation with friends or coworkers. Like, that's why I ask about the job thing. You know, it's like now my job is so, I'm so, I couldn't be more out. But there was a time when I worked in education, you know, there was a time when that was a helpful thing. And it just, there, there, there doesn't, there isn't the same little shorthand thing that you can introduce into a conversation via a framed photograph that indicates that, that you're ace, unless I just don't know what it is. I mean, it could be like a little flag or a little button or whatever, Mm but, but you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? I
1: totally know what you mean because it's, I think being ace means that you in some ways have to come out again and again, because Mm -hmm. if you have a partner, people will just assume that you're allosexual. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the hard things about coming out as ace is that also it does feel like it is much more about the body. It is much more about sexuality, despite being asexual, than relationships. Because, you know, aces separate romantic attraction and sexual attraction. So there are aces who are gay, they're homoromantic, or they're straight, they're heteroromantic, but they're still ace. And so it's not this like, love is love. I just want to be with this partner. It on some level feels like you're actually talking about what is going on in your body and, you know, it's it's like the euphemisms and the shorthand that we often use when talking about queer relationships or gay relationships. You can't go to them because yes, you are exactly. talking about your exactly. body, and I think that's also what makes it harder for at times for people to come out. You know, people say like, I don't know if I feel comfortable talking at work, especially if it's a more conservative workplace. It, feels, it doesn't feel like I'm talking about my wife. It feels like I'm talking about my sex life. And that's kind of the thing with my parents too. You know, like I don't want to talk about it. I don't think it's because I'm ashamed. It's because I don't want to talk about that with my parents.
0: And there's no ace haircut that helps you indicate this to other people. Not yet. Not Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) Not yet. Maybe there is an ace haircut. I want to ask you a question about sort of your community. And, And this is not, I don't, assume this is true for everybody, but what is your asexual community like? Like, for instance, how many, how many people do you know who use this identifier? Do you mostly know them, or who identify this way? Like, do you, do you mostly know them on the internet? Are these people that you know IRL? You know, what is your sort of community encounter like?
1: I think I found the ace community. Rather, I found my ace community while writing the book. So before Mm. writing the book, I'd gone to a couple of ace meetups, but I'm terrible at consistently going to any meetups. And before that, I'd never met any other ace person in the wild. You know, I'd never... Um, you know, there were blogs that I followed, but I don't really know them. And this kind of stuff doesn't come out in casual conversation. Interestingly, since I published the book, um, not friends of mine, but friends of friends, people who are kind of on the outskirts of my social circle have told me that they're ace, which I never would have known otherwise. And I don't think we ever would have talked about this except for, you know, me giving this opening by publishing this book. So the community I have now is the people that I've interviewed and then the people I've met through, you know, talking about the book, or people who write to me, or, you know, the people that I've reached out to. But I think that that job of building community is difficult because asexuality is rare for various reasons, or at least not that common. And like you said, it doesn't come up. You know, I can't just look at someone and think, oh, they're probably ace. Because of X, Y, and Z, it's so there's a reason it's called the invisible orientation. And I think that can lead to one of those chips passing the night kind of situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you also,
0: you know, talk a lot about I mean, even as you're saying that um it's pretty rare, I am struck also by the many ways that um that cultural pressure and that um different types of marginalization would make it really hard for folks to even connect to this part of themselves. You know, I think about people that are cultured female and I mean this is our <laughs> our agency in in even divorcing spouses is like 5 minutes old um because we're not uh, necessarily supposed to have, you know, culturally long um for for our history agency over our own bodies and sexuality being part of that and so you know um it would seem that this is that this would also be you know such a difficult thing to realize about yourself but then also to measure as a percentage of of humans
1: right i think it's impossible to talk about asexuality without getting into all of the various all of the various forces that keep people who are not asexual from understanding their, their their sexuality. You know, you mentioned, of course, women, there's that double standard, there's less agency. Of course, homophobia is there. And I don't think homophobic people want people to be asexual. They just want people to be straight and allosexual. But mm-hmm. of course, you know, there is anti-sex puritanism and there's transphobia and all of that. And all that intersects in so many ways it makes it, so that many people who are not asexual are encouraged or forced or somehow pressured to feel distant from their sexuality. And so I completely understand that once you throw that off, then it feels empowering and it feels important. And at the the same time, Just because all that is true doesn't mean that asexuality doesn't also exist as a form of human sexual variation. And so I think it's so hard because, you know, the middle chapters of the book are about this. If you're part of a marginalized community, if you're a woman, you're always like, okay, am I really asexual and there's nothing wrong with me? Or am I just so repressed that I don't even realize it? Or for example, there's so many sexual stereotypes related to race Um, and I, for the book, I interviewed a black woman who said, I couldn't tell if I was really asexual or if I just really hated the fact that black women were quote unquote supposed to be hypersexual. So like, was this real or was this like a reaction or, you know, disabled people are presumed to be asexual mostly against their will. And they've done a lot of work trying to show, you know, the able population that they're not inherently asexual. So then disabled ace people are like, okay, what's, what am I? What what's going on? So there's, there's just so much, so many intersecting forces that makes it hard to measure, hard to claim. And another part is that I think most people don't really know what asexual means. Even if they know the word, even if they understand the definition, many people do think it means you're repulsed by sex or you're averse by sex when there are ace people who are not celibate and you know have partners and enjoy sex. Can you give me
0: for for listeners like a a vaguely better definition
1: yeah absolutely
0: repulsed by sex because i absolutely I do think that you're you're absolutely right
1: yeah i mean the first thing i say is that when people are trying to figure out their ace there is this natural inclination to like to go at it from this like reductive kind of like scientific way like sexual attraction is this and if i don't experience it then it's that and i've personally just found and this is for anyone who I guess might be listening, thinking they're ace, that the better way is to just to read the experience of people who are ace and see if that resonates with you rather than being like a scientist, you know, and being like, I'm going to isolate this from that. But to actually answer your question, you know, asexual or asexuality means you don't experience sexual attraction. But I think most people think that not experiencing sexual attraction means you don't like sex or that the idea of sex is upsetting or repulsive to you and that is true for some aces and that's absolutely true and valid but it's possible to not experience an attraction to something and also not be repulsed by it you know just thinking about humans like there's some people that I find attractive and there's some people that I find just not very attractive and there's some people where it's like I don't really have a reaction to you but maybe you know physically but maybe I like you because you're funny or you know like or like with the foods. There's foods that you love foods you hate, and foods that are like, eh, I could take it or leave it. And I think this is the distinction that really confuses people. And I think that's what confused me because I'm not sex repulsed. I have been, I'm not celibate. I have been in sexual relationships and I often enjoyed sex because of these emotional reasons. Because mm-hmm. of because I was bored maybe or because it made me feel attractive or because I wanted to feel close to my partner. And I think that experiencing that emotional desire really hid the lack of actual physical sexual attraction um and i think that people don't realize this and so when they hear asexual and they're like well i have sex so i can't be me
0: yeah i I mean i also think you talked you talk a little bit about like being able to appreciate beauty and attractiveness in your partner as well which i think is another thing that there's just a lot that i was reading in this uh thinking about you know, or really early experiences that i had with men or, or like <laughs> even even a couple of years ago i think i i don't know it's that thing of like if i've ever told a dude friend that he looked like super cute or something and then gotten a chuckle from him because how could i know that so this must almost be like an insult um and i can still appreciate When I think something is attractive and not actually have sexual attraction for that person, I can have that as a as somebody who's um, queer. So I will just say for any any queer listeners that are not ace and are trying to maybe understand what you're talking about. For me, that was like what I was. That was sort of an entry point for me where I was like, oh, I I may not have these experiences across the board, but, like, I have had these experiences, you know? Um, I certainly know how to identify attraction that isn't sexual attraction, so it makes sense to me that that, you know, would be, can could be a um, an identity that is true across the board for somebody.
1: Um, yeah. I think a lot of the splits that we make, so ACEs separate sexual attraction from romantic attraction, from what we were just talking about, which is basically aesthetic attraction. I think anyone can use them regardless of whether they're ace or not. You Absolutely. Know, it's, right? It's just this weird idea. Like when people are like, oh, why do you have a physical type? And I'm just like, just because I'm not, as you said, sexually attracted to them, I definitely have a type. I definitely have people that I think are more attractive than others. Yeah. Why I would at you are art? Yeah, right? <laughs> like I have taste.
0: I, I can see a tree. You know, yeah. yeah. I, yes. Yeah. It's well, I just think I think that um obviously I know people aren't trees, but I just mean to to say that like that it just it just is overemphasizing sexuality and sexual attraction over all other types of attraction. I think is is a huge point that you're making in the book.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of it really is about language. Like deep down I keep thinking this is a book about how the way we talk about sexuality and attraction is so flawed and so limiting because there's a point where I talk about how, you know, I didn't realize I was ace, like I said, until my 20s and there there was like almost no way to tell because my friends would be like, he's hot. And I'm like, yeah, he's hot. You know, like, how would I, how would I know? But they were describing something differently. We don't talk about our bodily experience of things. So we were just Mm -hmm. using language differently. Like she would be like, he's hot. I want to sleep with him. And I'd be like, he has nice skin, but the words were the same, you know? And so I think so much of it is about the way we conceptualize attraction the words we use, the frameworks we use, they're they're very general. And I think that the more specific they can be, the we can get a more clear view of what is it we actually feel and want.
0: Yes. I mean that again, that's something I really related to is I remember having those conversations with women when I was growing up when they were talking about their boyfriends. And I was talking about my boyfriend. And there's even a story pretty early in the book where um it's uh somebody who's religious who was raised like religiously conservative and so then is waiting for marriage. And that's an experience I had where I was, I would be talking to my peers who were like really struggling at our Catholic high school with whether or not to have sex with their boyfriends. And I was not struggling with this issue. (laughs) The same to this, you know, actually, I really just wasn't struggling with this. Did we, did I, did we, you know, make out and was it fun? Yes. Um, But I just didn't feel this, I only realized years later that, like, that they were having an experience that was so different from mine. Because, like, in terms of words in a magazine or whatever, like, it seemed pretty similar to me at the time. You know, I felt, um, like, deep friendship and i wanted to be around the guys i was dating and i thought they were attractive to look at you know so it it didn't strike me that there was something else that the that my friends were experiencing
1: exactly and for me because i am romantically attracted to both men and women but you know i was the kind of person who would get obsessed and it would feel so overwhelming and so powerful just like any pop song or movie and so that really how was that any different you know it felt so powerful that the kind of lack of that sexual component um, or, like, that lack of that, like, natural, like, sexual attraction just never occurred to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So how does this work for you um, today? I would imagine that, well... I don't, I don't actually know the answer to this. So, you know, once you in in queerness, certainly there are like a zillion micro um, experiences where people um, can feel rejected once coming out after post coming out. But I think for someone who's ace, I'm I'm wondering even more about like getting into relationships because, you know, again, it's not like there's like some finish line for. It's not like there was some finish line for me where once I was, like, out, then it's, like, now I can literally date anyone I want. Like, that that's not necessarily true. Um, but I would imagine that the sort of, like, moving beyond coming out doesn't necessarily then provide this huge, like, open door of partnership opportunities. Like, for instance, the equivalent of the gay bar. You know, like, there's not there's not then, given what we're talking about, this, like, size of the community thing. And then I don't even know if, you know, ace partners would, that's not necessarily the only reason you would partner up with somebody. So then um, it seems that it would present a particular set of things to navigate in dating.
1: I think it definitely does. And I also think the experience can range so much because you have people who, like we talked about are celibate and sex repulsed and their experience of dating will be much different from someone who, you know, Maybe they will never feel sexually attracted to someone, but they're not repulsed by sex and they're happy to have sex for the sake of their partner, right? Pretty, pretty wide gap there. And so the experiences are very different. But I think all of it requires, um, you know, kind of what we were saying, like it requires like coming out again and again. Even if you find yourself romantically compatible, at some point you'll have to have this conversation. And I think that's hard. I think in general, right? No one wants to have uncomfortable conversations that feel maybe a little emotionally dangerous. And and what you're presenting is, here's a way in which we might be different and we'll have to navigate that. And I think that that is something that's a struggle for many aces. And you're right, I don't, of course there are aces who date each other and there are ace dating sites, but given various factors, I think most ace people that I know who want a partner tend to try dating someone who's non-ace or Aloe and trying to see if there's a way to make it work. And there's a lot of struggles in that. You know, one chapter of the book is about consent. And I think it's not just about consent for aces. It's about consent for everyone, because I think we still have this idea, especially in relationships, that entering a relationship requires giving up a measure of consent, right? There's like that long history of that, especially when it's like women, you know, having to consent to their husbands once they're in a relationship. And so in relationships, there's a lot of double standards. And there's a lot of these ideas that the higher desire partner is normal and the lower desire partner is broken. It needs to fix it. And there's a lot of stories I've heard from people who, before they identified as ACE, really felt that they were broken and felt this deep pressure that they had to have sex and couldn't say no unless there was some kind of really good reason, because I don't want to was not a good enough reason. So I think partnership for ACEs, especially when you're with someone who's Aloe, really makes people question, um, first of all, their ability to, their emotional maturity and ability to have these conversations in order to enter the relationship. And it also, I think, makes forces people to really, um, I I was going to say, like, develop their communication skills. It sounds like so clinical, but you know what I mean? Like, really be able to have these conversations and stand up for themselves. Because I think it's so easy to just fall into this pattern of, oh, there's something wrong with me. Oh, I, I need to, it is my job, it is my duty to do this. Oh, um, I better work on myself when I don't think that's necessarily the most moral or just way to look at it.
0: Right. I, I mean, you know, another side of that that I have been thinking about a lot lately is um, like I'm in a long-term relationship and committed to practicing good consent. And when that is and a survivor of sexual assault and when those things i think exist in your life and this i'm this queer person i'm supposed to be you know like woke and super careful i think that it can also i'll just speak to my own experience i think that it can also get into there's almost like another side of this trap um which is the idea that like everybody's attraction has to be like at a hundred at all times in order for anything to happen, even kissing. And that like in long-term relationships, there is, I don't know that we've had the fruitful enough conversations, you know, as a, I mean, I have these conversations with a couples therapist and that is because I have access to a couples therapist who's queer, who, you know, I can afford to go to. And I'm, that I'm thinking about, um, and i have a willing partner who also wants to have some of these conversations like what does it mean when you're in a pandemic together and uh you're living together all the time you want your sex life to continue and um and you do have a mismatch on that in that particular time because in relationships between allosexual people there are phases of when sexual attraction is up or down because, because people get sick of each other because stress from work happens because sexuality and sexual attraction is not like a straight across line. Um, and I think it's, it's also sort of being, you know, as a community, as, as queer folks, I think that, um, you know, I love the title of your book because I do, which, you know, which is like what asexuality reveals about, you know, the meaning of sex and, and society and all these things. I I also, I just think that, um, we sort of swung from like, in terms of hip, queer, woke culture, we swung from like, we don't know how to have, how to consent at all to, um, everything has to be sort of perfectly just just to consent equals a hundred percent. I want to do this thing right now. Um, and that's the thing that I would imagine exists in these like ace aloe mixed, um, orientation Absolutely. relationships and it also exists um you know in Ace ace relationships and it also exists in aloe aloe relationships because there there isn't some there is there just isn't going to be some relationship where you both want to have sex at the exact same time the exact same amount forever
1: exactly that trap totally exists and I think it's so relevant as you said for everyone whether you're ace or aloe or whatnot and There's these two lines, and one which is like, I am entitled to your sexuality, and that's where you get into like coercion and, you know, assault. And the other one is this kind of strain of thought that's like, the only real consent is enthusiastic consent. It's only if you're like ready to tear each other's clothes off, otherwise it's not consent. And that is actually not ace-friendly either, because if you make enthusiastic consent the only real consent, most aces realistically or many ACEs realistically won't be able to give enthusiastic consent. So therefore it's actually taking agency away from ACEs and kind of saying like ACEs are like children or animals, you know, other, like those are the groups that can't consent. And I think so much of it has to do with two things. So one is that the way consent is a binary, like enthusiastic consent or like no consent when in reality, consent is obviously not a binary. And in the book, one model that I use is from this um, sex researcher, Emily Nagoski. And then she talks about like enthusiastic consent, but there's also willing consent. There's unwilling consent and coerced consent. Um, and then willing consent is like, I might not like want sex for myself, but I will get something out of it. I'm happy to do it. And I think that realistically is where a lot of people often are. Yes. And if you can accept that and work and work with that, I think that can be great. But the second thing I want to talk about is the way we privilege that kind of raw, primal, like purely physical um, sexuality. And I'm guilty of this myself because, you know, so much of it is symbolic. In the book, I write about how I've never had an ace partner. And part of that is because of, you know, compatibility. You're like, there's not that many ace people in the world. But part of that is because despite being ace myself, I wanted to feel like other people could sexually desire me you know especially as a woman you know our worth and all of that is so tied to how sexually presentable and sexually attractive um, we are and it felt like such a form of power you know I think so often all of us are like oh willing consent is there something wrong with me like if I were hotter mm-hmm. would, would there be enthusiastic consent I remember talking to one ace woman who said that her partner kept being like, it's me. Like, you just need to like try sex with other people because I think uh, she had been a when they met. And then finally she was like, it has nothing to do with you. Like, it is about me. It is about my identity. It's not my attraction or lack of it is not a barometer of your sexual attractiveness or your self-worth. And she was like, okay, once you understood that, it was like this light came off. But, you know, even once you understand that, I think it's so easy to be like, you know is this maintenance sex is this sad is this like an appointment we have to make in google calendar like what's what's the spontaneity and i think that there's a way to reframe it like i don't have a marketing kind of brain but i keep being like we need to like rebrand maintenance sex absolutely like I think in many <laughs> yeah i think in many cases it's a good thing and it makes people feel um close to each other, you know, if if everyone wants it, et cetera, et cetera, and it can help the relationship, but we so privilege, like, a certain other kind of consent and a certain other kind of sexual experience that we don't see how, what I'm calling maintenance sex can be very romantic and, like, a bond, you know? I think that's why one of the subtitles is, like, the meaning of sex, like, it is so filled with symbolism and all of these ideas we've picked up on what kind of sex is good and what should make us feel good versus what should make us feel like we're being pitied and what's charity and so much of that can be reframed. But all of this to say, like that trap, you know, there's so much space between those two poles in that trap in which to figure out ways to align, but we are stuck in this binary that doesn't serve us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it, I'm also really thinking about the way that that um, intersects for like how much, what you're talking about will also affect different communities in different ways. For instance, um, you know, this is something I personally have had to really work on and continue to work on is, you know, as a child, as a young person, not feeling like I could figure out, crack the code on standards of beauty and like feeling like something is a little off with what I'm doing. Like, I want to dress like Robin hood seemingly every other person my age would like to be like a sexy cat for halloween and so like i'm not sure where i stand in terms of attractiveness that stuff doesn't go away once you know then there's like coming out there's different haircuts there's different types of presentation and um one of the ways the easiest ways that we create this that our culture teaches us to find this affirmation is in a romantic partner specifically. I mean, the other one, I guess is currently like the internet. So it's like either the internet or your romantic partner, <laughs> mm-hmm. maybe both. I don't know. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, uh, that is soup. That's a hot, it's a tall order. You know, I say this as somebody who is navigating this. Like, I know this is a tall order to bring to a partner. Also, I assume most of my partners are bringing this to me at some, in some degree, or not like this sort of like reflect back to me my attractiveness um and then you know compound that with somebody who's dealing with disability or you know because what I'm talking about a sort of like uh gender nonconforming that that is that exists on a different scale of privilege than somebody who has a disability that that um especially a visible disability versus an invisible disability has which is a whole different set of (laughs) ramifications um specifically for sexual attractiveness so anyway i just bring all that up because um because yeah i mean it's 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 interesting to read about these things or to talk about these these issues and i i think that it's like a it feels like a reddit thread where uh the concepts that are bringing being brought up are like i'm sure these are also everybody's issues you know like somebody is an allosexual person in a relationship with an asexual person and not sure how to affirm their own attractiveness. It's like, that's everybody. These are everybody's issues.
1: Yeah. And I think it's so hard to disentangle sexuality from, I mean, of course, it's so hard from sexuality, from like power, from attractiveness. Mm-hmm. I saw someone I know, they tweeted something the other day and it was something like, people want to be fuckable more than they want to fuck. And that's true for yeah. you know I that's true for a lot of people. It's not true for it's not true for everyone, but I think that it is true for a lot of people, and I think that's probably true for most aces. You know, like I just said, like I want to feel attractive, and I want to feel desired, and even as I say that, I'm like I wish I didn't want those things because we can now connect. You know, now there's this new level we're wanting that, and like now it means you're kind of shallow, so you know I have to like. Polish that part of yourself but they're all like asexuality and beauty I think is something that's really interesting to think about you know and also one interesting thing that I've always thought is that I've talked to aces who are physically attractive by any measure and then they'll say that when other people find out they're ace they'll say things like Oh, what a shame what a that you are I was like wondering. What a waste! Oh, right, oh, like, what a waste! No. And it's like, oh, because my beauty is for you. Yeah, not, I can't just enjoy being beautiful. Like, there's so many um, weird comments that people make regarding attractiveness. Keep going. I'm sorry. I just, this, I'm just. This is like
0: blowing my mind. But yes, of course. I mean, well, this is it's directly commodified, and I know that I'm not saying anything that is so interesting, but it just it feels. More, um, more apparent than I think, you know, in the past, I think um, what is so genius in the like addiction side of social media is that they let us, you know, when everybody was building everything out, they they knew that that letting us see how popular things were would drive our desire to participate more um, and, you know, to mold our own um speech and our own images a- after like chasing the positive affirmation we see other people getting and you know was has that always been true like sure I mean there were like you know bikini models growing up but you just couldn't necessarily see like the cover of sports illustrated didn't have like a number of men that have looked at this right ta- tally on the bottom. And I think that, um, you know, I know that this stuff messes me up um, in terms of trying to get out of my own way and enjoy myself, my life, my attractiveness, my partner, my happiness, my sense of peace. And um, I see that as really intersecting today with a lot of stuff that you're talking about.
1: Yeah, I think it messes everyone up, you know. I've always cared about how I looked just kind of naturally, but Since writing about asexuality, since being a little bit more visible about it, I find myself thinking, like, now I really need to look good (laughs) because it's very common for people to be like, oh, they're not ace. They're just bitter. (laughs) They're actually an incel because they're unattractive. And so you have those like beauty standards, you know, pushed onto you. You know, when we talk about the gold star ace person, like the imaginary perfect ace person they have to be attractive so they can deflect any like bitter grape sort of accusations at the same time you know people who are both asexual and aromantic and not interested in romantic partnership they'll get these comments like oh you're so lucky if if i were that way then i would just let myself go to seed and they're like why right because the world will still treat you very badly if it does not deem you attractive enough regardless of whether you personally want a romantic partner or not it's all of it is mixed together and there's all of these different standards
0: absolutely i mean i, I so relate to that from you know the one identifier that i have that is like specifically lesbian i think that that identifier. Um, Queerness for me sort of opts out a little bit of this system, but lesbian, the idea that I am still responsible for being attractive to men, that is, that has never been lost on me one single day. <laughs> um, that, that, uh, that like cis straight men finding me part of a porn search inventory will affect like whether or not I, you know, Little, will affect like literally my, you know, my earning power. Um, and I think that queerness, you know, the my my identity that is more like in a queer space, I think that that sort of almost opts out of that system altogether, again, in ways that can have multiple effects on things like that's just like, well, we don't even know how to scale you. You don't even care about this, this, this scale. Um, and, and I would imagine that, yeah, of course, that same thing. I, I would also imagine that, um... Because I'm just thinking about myself uh, and hearing things like, yeah, I mean, no kidding, you're a lesbian. Like, you're not even, it's not, it's not just the the incel side of it, which is bitterness. It's, like, the, like, dismissive, like, oh, you think you're, like, such hot shit that I would want to sleep with you? Like, like no loss to my community. You know, like, that's another side of it. And so I would just imagine that the same thing exists where it's, like. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you're saying it's imp- important to still fall within certain beauty standards because other because or. And I mean, or face the consequences of people saying to you, like, okay, cool. Well, you're ace. No fucking problem for me. You know, like, and, 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 uh, boy, is it tough that we, you know, live in a world where we have to humiliate each other like this. But it is because of the power aspect that you were mentioning earlier.
1: Yeah, the power aspect. And I think, you know, what you were saying about how it's not lost on you that you have to be attractive to men, I think that's ingrained in almost anyone you know, what you were saying about earning power, I remember reading this article about, I think it was like female pro surfers and one of them was a lesbian and she was saying how she was always told that she had to be down low about that. Not necessarily, well, it was because of homophobia, but the other reason besides homophobia was because she needed to be attractive to men and they need to be able to imagine themselves dating her. And that was a source of, you know, her endorsements and her power, even though she was an athlete.
0: I mean, this is why casting looks the way that it does in Hollywood. You know, it's because, I mean, this is why people in movies about lesbians don't have my haircut. Um, you know, this is why it's, it's, uh, yeah, we're all, we're all fighting the same, <laughs> the same battle against the great and powerful male gays. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, Angela, What have I, is there anything that I've missed? I hate that. I actually hate receiving this question. So I just want you to know that I know that, but, um, for what, for my own, I'm truly ashamed to say this, but that you are my, for the amount of time the query has been running, you're my first, um, person who I'm interviewing who's ace. And part of that is because I've often gotten this suggestion, um, and then people have, Suggested themselves or someone that they're friends with, and I have found that it is, um, it is oftentimes very difficult. I do it sometimes, but it's very difficult to, um, interview folks who don't have, um, experience being interviewed because I do it sometimes, but it, it is just, uh, it's a it's way easier, I think, to fuck everything up on my end when they're. <laughs> <laughs> who's um used to receiving questions? And I have wanted to make sure that I that I didn't fuck this up. And um and I have other ace guests booked coming up next. So few. You, you don't have to represent everybody. Because <laughs> I figured great, I asked for suggestions. I got some great suggestions, which is awesome. Um, but is there anything that that you think that I have missed in this just beginning initial <laughs> conversation about your book, about you, about what we should talk about it Wednesday morning at ten o'clock,
1: I think there's so much that just understanding asexuality can bring to our general understanding of sexuality and gender. You know there's so much I didn't go into the book, but I mean the ace community has a huge number of folks who are gender not conforming or trans, and I think in some ways because our idea idea of gender is so much based on, like, the gender you are also sexually attracted to, asexuality can be destabilizing in that way. And I think that's fascinating. Um, earlier on, we were talking about um, centering pleasure. And I think that's just something... <gasps> yes! I, I wrote to. it down and forgot to come back to it! You're the best! <laughs> um, yeah, I want to go back to it because I think that, you know, I think aces are queer. I think the A in LGBTQI stands for, you know ace but I also acknowledge that some people in the queer community don't think this way and while I disagree I can kind of understand where they're coming from you know the the experiences are different the way of relating is also different but I think that many people think aces are queer think that aces are anti-sex or anti-sexuality when that's not the case I think we are trying to not put sex and pleasure as interchangeable things, because sex is sex, but it can also be traumatizing or unpleasant. Um, And I guess pleasure maybe can be traumatizing just too much. I don't know. That's a different, that's a different question. But I think what we're trying to do is we're not trying to say, you know, you, you should feel guilty or you should feel, you know, ashamed if this is, if sex is important to you, it's more like, could it be because there are can be sexual pressures of all kinds that the focus on sexual pleasure is narrowing your vision and not letting you think about all the other ways in which you find pleasure in your life. And I think that for me is about, it's what asexuality is. It's not about, you know, how little sex you have or like describing necessarily the sensations in your body. It's about a way of relating at the world with the world and what you see and what is important to you and what you encourage other people to see. So I think I always want to say that because I understand, you know, if you thought that asexuality was about being sex negative, then I would, I would not be for that either, but it's more about, I think the way a friend put it was like, you know, sexuality for all who want it without making sexuality, like a requirement to be a human with a full life.
0: Rock and roll. (laughs) Well, you know, here's the, the, The way I will also respond to that, um, you know, having grown up in a, specifically in a culture of forced celibacy, like not just the shame that, that came, that was taught to all of the kids I grew up with around premarital sex, but also, um, you know, growing up Catholic and the clergy have to take a vow of celibacy to be close to God, um, but that that celibacy is not um, necessarily indicative of any internal human desire, but more so pose as a sacrifice and painful. And like, literally these are, you know, this is from the same tradition that has having people whip themselves and like drag themselves across coals. And it all supposed to mean the same thing. You know, I, I think, I think a lot about the damage that the Catholic church has done around sexual abuse and it's here are these people that are given no opportunity to understand their own sexuality and that think that sexuality is about power and saintliness and then are put in touch with you know young kids and um it's an insane disaster waiting to happen and so (laughs) you know when we think about well, what kinds of power can conversations like this have? What's the point of including asexuality in the queer community and and asexual folks in the queer community? It is because when we affirm true identities as opposed to foisted identities, we always work for justice. Like I just think that that is always true, and um, especially an identity that could include something like celibacy, you know, if if that is a part of what this is for somebody. Um, like this is us doing the awesome work as a community to undo the bullshit outside of our community. <laughs> and oftentimes the bullshit we grew up in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the Catholic Church is a prime example of what asexuality is not. Because even (laughs) there's compulsory sexuality. There's the assumption, right, that you have, you're fighting against this and you're you're struggling very much um, against your deep desire to be sexually attracted to everyone. So, yeah, I think that asexuality is a true identity. And I also think that aces, um, I mean, I think aces talk about so many interesting topics, like, you know, in the absence of sex, what is the difference between romantic and platonic attraction? People who are aromantic, who are not always asexual, though sometimes they are, also have so much to say about living in a world where you, where it is assumed that everyone must have a romantic orientation, everyone must have a romantic relationship, and laws and everything are built around that, you know, there's so, the way we live sexually, romantically, just relationally, um, has so much room for improvement, and I think that the You know, having an inclusive conversation, one that's about, you know, respect and speaking about your own experience, not about telling other people you need to stop having sex, is a step toward creating a a better community and not a more limited one.
0: Yeah, rock and roll. Well, I mean, I loved talking to you. It is the end of our little chat, and I'm going to ask you to shout out a queero, which is a person, place, or thing that made you feel that you can be who you are today.
1: Absolutely. Uh, my queero is Yasmin Benoit. She is a ace activist. She's also a romantic. Um, she does a lot. Of, she's black, and she does a lot of work for aces of color because this is something we didn't talk about. But there is a very strong assumption that asexuality is white or it's a white thing. And also, she's she's lovely, and then she just has this personality that's so different from mine. I, you know, I'm very shy, and I'm always just kind of like always suffering under the aloe gaze and then Yasmin is always like why would I care what they think so that's been very inspiring to me personally
0: that's awesome and thank you so much for being available for this interview and um can't wait to continue to read this book it's it's a real gift for our community
1: absolutely thank you so much for having me on